Nowadays, there are a lot of discussions about President Marcos Jr.'s foreign policy. Accordingly, there's also a lot of debate about the value and the implications of the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement. But to properly appreciate President Marcos Jr.'s foreign policy and the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement between the Philippines and the United States, we have to also understand the bigger geopolitical context, particularly the new Cold War between China and the United States. And accordingly, we also have to understand not only the grand strategy of superpowers, particularly China, but we also have to figure out what could be the Philippines' grand strategy in order to survive and to thrive in the 21st century. In order to understand the new Cold War between US and China and what should be the focus of the Philippines in the coming decades in terms of its national security strategy, to better understand the way forward for the Philippines, we're going to talk to someone who really knows his stuff. Someone who served in the Philippine Navy at the highest levels and someone who's educating the Filipino public on how we should move forward and thrive in a new Cold War era between US and China. Now, obviously, the Scarborough issue was a watershed, but so was President Duterte's term in office. It, it came as a shock to a lot of people that, you know, the Philippines would have a president like that. I'm not only talking about the drug war, but someone who would cause an American president, someone who would question the foundation of the administration. As someone who was serving in the Navy, how did you feel about that? I mean, like, suddenly we have a president like this. Did you feel it's just braggadocio? Was this just, you know, a rhetorical posturing? Or you felt something fundamental was going on? Some foundational crisis in our alliance with the United States? Hindi naman kagad. Ang asan institution, the armed forces, is supposed to be apolitical. So, whoever sits there as a president, that's your commander-in-chief. But you also have constitutional duties, right? To correct, defend correct. the Philippine sovereignty. But, uh, uh, you presume regular, regular, uh, assume regularity of uh, everything. Eh? Right. So, you give that to him, that's your commander-in-chief. So, of course, nung uh, meron ng mga directives na parang, for me, I call it an ethical dilemma. Kasi, mm. uh, you're receiving instructions that are legitimate instructions. But kung ibabangga mo doon sa constitutional mandate, parang disconnected na. Okay. So that's an ethical dilemma for us. Right. Medyo gray zone. Nag-gray yeah. na zone ka na kumbaga. But of course, you have to follow orders. Uh, kasi it's not illegal. No, I mean, he's the commander-in-chief, yeah. right? So it's not illegal. So you may not agree with it, but that's, right. that's his call. Kumbaga, again, you presume na at, uh, the man on the balcony has a, a greater... And he has a broader the mandate, of and things, he has a democratic yeah. mandate, right? Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm saying is that it's not just the talking. I mean, we canceled plans for joint patrols with the U.S. I remember that was a big issue being discussed 2014, 2015. I, I covered this as a journalist starting writing about this issue 2011. So I, I remember things on a granular level. There was a lot of excitement on the joint patrols. And then suddenly Balikatan gets kind of bumped off or taken away from the maritime security aspects and just put on the HADR. Like, that must have been big for people in the Navy, right? Like, what's going on? Like, the whole momentum, all the plans we had on how to move forward is kind of out of the window. Boom, not to mention the arbitration award is out now, which clearly says mm -hmm. China has no business claiming these areas. And the Philippines kind of has more business being in those areas. That must have been a difficult moment, right? I mean, it, it, it's not only ethical. I probably, it's just maybe existential moment for some people, right? May, or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe... I'm seeing it a little bit too dramatized, but that's how I saw it. I mean, mm. from the outside, I'm looking at it as someone who understands it like, whoa, this is crazy. And, and, and for us, from the outside, we have to explain this to the world. I, 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 I imagine, I'm trying to imagine what it was for you people um, on the well, front line. Well, it's like, ano eh, para nakatali kamay mo. Yeah. And again, in vacuum thing. Uh, we, may not, we may not have the most modern ships at that time. But still. But the fact that we're patrolling uh, before that, you know, uh, we have presence. Okay. Kumbaga, the analogy there is, ano eh, in your barangay, there's a policeman. Uh, community policing. So as long as that policeman is uh, walking, the, walking the beat, kumbaga, yung community, siyempre, yung, yung mga criminal uh, elements don't uh, would stand out. Kumbaga, right. iwas right. yan eh. But when you say to the policeman, community policeman, you stop patrolling. What do what do you expect? So yeah. yun uh, and that was for six years. So there is a cost. 
There's a cut. Now, the reason why I mentioned this, um, Admiral, is is this okay? I also hear this from people who work in both administration, meaning Marcos Jr. and Duterte. They keep on saying, no, 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 if you look at it, all that drama actually gave leverage to us because it made the Americans take us more seriously and all. But I kind of see how it makes sense if you're not really familiar with the situation. But actually, if you're familiar with the situation, actually, there were costs to what Duterte did, right? Suspending the patrols, suspending the Balikatan, uh, not allowing the ETCA to be fully implemented for a very long time. We can, we'll discuss ETCA more. That had a cost. And for me, if you want the U.S. to take you more seriously, did you have it to do it in the Duterte way? I'm, I can think of a thousand other ways for to get the American people's attention on, on this. You, you know, know, Richard, that's the, you're the third person I heard that narrative in the past two days. Right? Because and it's becoming the thing, right? Yeah. And I haven't heard that last week. Oh, is it? Yes. Baka coordinated. So, What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, uh, they're trying to deodorize yung, ano, yung image of former president and maybe paving or the way make it for smooth in terms of the, yeah. the, the departure let's just put it that way yeah. yeah so last week I haven't heard that narrative but yeah. for the past two days you're the third person I heard that on the record I heard this first time more like one month ago <laughs> it's okay. like yeah, yeah, yeah so I can send you the links and all you okay. know? I was like mm, that's an interesting way of looking but for me I think Duterte was a net negative for us when it comes to strengthening our position he did some things right here and there, or Secretary Lorenzana did certain things right and there, but I think on overall he was a net negative. I can imagine any other president would have, without all the school, Duterte School of Diplomacy, could have still made us more important to Americans uh, without all the costs that we incurred. I mean, this is my, my take on the issue after obsessively writing and thinking about it. So I just want you to, like, what is your reading? Because you have good friends like, you know, Jay Batumbakal, who also has written about the fishery aspects of it, that because we were not asserting ourselves as much, we're losing more than $600 million, conservative estimates of fishery resources. A lot of that to IAU from, from China, right? To certain degree, you can say Vietnam, etc. So I just don't get that argument that, no, 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 Duterte, that was just a drama to set it up for Marcos. Like, I'm not sure it was coordinated that way. I think it was just by some accidents of history once Marcos came in. Medyo mas kailangan tayo ng America, which we'll talk about later on on the Taiwan issue. What is your take? Because I, I want to see the take of a man who was in the ring. Right. I look at this as a publicity, mm. uh, maybe political in nature. The fact that it, as I said, I heard of it uh, only the <laughs> like past Like it becomes days. more frequent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. said it, it came in last month. Right. So maybe it's some, uh, it's maybe a political thing. Right. Because I, I don't, I didn't see that. And, uh, if we assess the past administration, you would, even you would say that as far as foreign policy, medyo problematic. Siya. Problematic, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yung fundamentals lang problematic na. How much more right. Now you're going to say na deliberation. Yeah. There, there's a method to the madness during right, that time. Right. Parang, that's a... That's a stretching. Yeah, that's stretching, stretching too far. Yeah. Too far, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I find that interesting, but I'm saying it's like, no, no, I don't think it worked that way. I think we lost a lot. We lost a lot. The fact that we did not assert uh, arbitration award early on, right away, we didn't build that coalition. I think we lost a lot of momentum. My sense is, of course, we're not going to name names. I felt a lot of confusion, demoralization among many people in the service. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was very... I, Ganitasi, just to be uh, transparent, initially, I supported Duterte raising those questions about ano bang ambag ng alliance nato. But I don't see the value of the answers he gave. I think the answers he... This is what we, say, we get with the populists, right? But probably Trump got it more correctly than Duterte in the sense that he didn't only yeah. ask big questions but got some of the methods right. I don't know, but my sense is with Duterte, I don't buy that argument. I just don't buy that argument. Now, this was all part of a grand design of him, you know, setting it up or, or Marcus Jr. should be thankful to Duterte that we're... Th I'm, I'm just not sure about it, to be honest. I'm not. Because I can imagine 10,000 ways that this could have gone better for us. Yeah. Well, even before he became president, mayor pa siya, uh, we were fully aware that of his uh, he, nature. Does, yeah. he doesn't like the Americans. He really doesn't like them. In yeah. fact, uh, in my uh, previous life, I was also like Mike, uh, Mike Lohiko. Right. Uh, I do exercise planning. So, so executive it, agent? Indeed, I'm executive <laughs> agent. <laughs> Uh, more of director plan. Director plan, yeah. So we made the point not to do 
uh, Philippine-US uh, exercises in Davao. Yes, I know that. I, I, I kind of like convinced the city council or something like that to kind yeah, of we, vote we avoid, against... Uh, we, yeah. the, the Americans say, can we do an exercise in Davao? No, no, no way. It doesn't work with that guy. Yeah. Uh, and that was... Back then. Back then. 1990s pa, pa to, di ba? Uh, early 2000s, During uh, early 2000s. President, President yeah. Pinoy's yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, so, so, kung baka... Uh, don't think of even that, uh, no. Oh, you know, I, I think it's the air base in Davao that he didn't want to give to the Bush administration. So I had something else in yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah. Obama na yata yan yung, yung finance. When he came yeah. in in 2016, we were prepared for that. You know, Kumbaga, you know what okay. this guy is all about. Yeah. So uh, we had some low-level consultations with the with the U.S. liaison here right. in uh, Manila. We're go- you're going to have a hard time when President yep. Duterte comes in. And my sense is they were not taking him seriously enough. The Americans yeah. thought it's just like another loudmouth who's gonna, you know, yeah. be shaped by the office once well, it's they, there. Yeah. Well, they tried. They were trying to be optimistic about situation. Right. Of course. Kaya ano no na we ended up sabi ko okay uh, low level discussions nothing formal ako. Let's consider a proxy. Uh, Japan. If uh, if uh, they kick you out, can you ask Japan to come in? As yung uh, more on active partner. Kasi at that time, President Duterte likes yeah, everyone very loves good relationship with yeah. President Abe. So, so logically, if uh, you, you got kicked ah, out. So fallback so, option. A fallback option. Kasi yun nga, back, the vacuum thing. Yeah. And, and then you have Abe who's very you know assertive in terms of making Japan a security yeah. partner. And yeah. even he, he even went, went to the residence ni President Duterte. Yeah, yeah. Personal diplomacy. Yeah, really. personal yeah, diplomacy. Yeah. So he really took that. That's effort. an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. So that was our uh, argument. Okay, they kicked you out. Ask Japan to come in. Were there times that you were suddenly feeling uh, maybe it's not as bad? You know, because towards 2020 2021 you could see even the president was kind of recalibrating right kind of raising concerns about things were happening here i mean duterte being duterte will say 10,000 things in different ways but my sense is in 2020 2021 there was a kind of a softening and we had friends telling me actually etka is beginning to be implemented maybe it did not happen as fast but things were moving in the right direction um what is your understanding of that that duterte himself kind of realized hindi ko magana yung ganyan style niya ano na eh, we're going to the political campaign that time. Eh. Mm. It's all politics. So, uh, that's my perception. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. If you go by the uh, the SWS and Pulse Asia surveys before, during, and even after the political campaign, consistent siya eh. People want more assertive uh, stance. Yeah, 80% uh, right. want us to assert our sovereign yeah. rights. More than 90% in sa taking, even taking back islands and asserting oh, arbitration. Yeah. And yeah. 80, plus, 80 plus, plus percent uh, said we support the modernization of the Navy in the Coast Guard. Right. Then in terms of trust rating, trust rating of other countries, number one is US. Yeah. Number two Japan, is Japan. Australia, and yeah. at the bottom was China. So you mean, you're going to the political campaign as a, as a very mm. astute politician, alam mo yung, alam mo yung uh, sense on the ground. And I think... Uh, as a populist. A populist. And he, I think he recalibrated Uh, he understood the the you know the sense in the ground now. and also the fact that china didn't give him any i mean i always said forget about debt trap it's pledge trap you know it's like china makes pledges yeah. nothing really came through not to mention i i, I mean of course you had the read bank incident also in 2019 which i think really was a wake-up call for duterte that he's mm-hmm. out of the You know what I'm saying? Like, everyone is angry at China and then he's the one trying to defend China or kind of mm-hmm. play down. You could see that he also sensed like, wait, I think I'm ahead of the curve too much, right? Yeah. In, in the wrong way. So I feel the 2019 events kind of made him realize, wait, parang alanganin itong situation. Because that kind of helped me appreciate. Although one version I get is the VFA was restored because China, uh, because US gave us vaccines or something like that. Mm-hmm. But my understanding is that, of course, it's much more complicated than that. But the vaccine probably help the president to kind of justify it to himself that maybe we don't want to rock the VFA and all. You were worried about the VFA situation when it was being tangled as a possibility of a retaliation against US? Hindi naman. Hindi naman. You felt it's more positioning, posturing? I give na natin, it's a posturing. Leverage. For the ICC, I mean for the human rights. For whatever reason. Exactly. It was leverage. And for that, I will give the, kumbaga, 
there was a certain there, there was a method to the madness. Yeah. See, okay. So at least in fairness, I'm also willing to give him that. All yeah. right. I, I won't say the whole thing was a master plan, but clearly there was some mini master plans going. I'm glad we we're of the same thinking there. Now let's go to what really brought us together today. <laughs> after that, you know, um, no, because we 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 have to understand this Etka thing didn't come out of nowhere, right? Yeah. The Etka came in light of what happened in the Scarborough Shoal, right? The idea that we want to make sure that the Americans are a reliable partner. At least that's my understanding. Because if you look at the preamble and the articles of the Etka, it's very clear. We want the Americans to help the modernization of AFP. We share some strategic concerns with what's happening with China. I mean, if you really go textually with Etka, that's the understanding I have that both sides kind of understood the status quo was not sustainable, that the alliance had to upgrade, like go big or go home. But I know it also didn't go as big as we wanted because I know, I remember very well reporting on the Etka. It was not even called Etka, something else, right? Later. Mm. The first iterations, I think the proposal by Albert del Rosario and some of other people was, we wanted to even lease American uh, frigates and assets as part of the Etka deal and then Obama said no way because we will be dragged like these Filipinos will drag us in mm. if I remember it reminded me of what Kissinger was saying in the 1970s when essentially there was another Nixon doctrine which is wag natin openly support ang Philippines sa, mar- sa, sa South China Sea kasi madamay tayo yeah. so my understanding is Etka was very much a, a kind of an upshot of Scarborough Shoal and its aftermath regardless of what lessons we're drawing mm. here we were just desperate to bring them in now obviously for the first two years after edca there was the supreme court issue to be resolved that was resolved but then comes duterte who is not for edca or at least is not for weapons prepositioning part of edca right what is your understanding of edca do you think it was well negotiated do you think it's something that is best for the country and then we'll discuss in the map shortly now we're talking about expanded edca even right mm. which is Shocking for a lot of people who thought Marcos will be Duterte 2.0, right? He will finish off what Duterte started, which is, as critics put it, make us a province of China. What is your understanding of this? How did Edka and then the Marcos pivot to the West coming together? Like, how is your understanding of that convergence? So you have to understand, though, Edka evolved uh, over time across Correct. three administrations. administrations yep. So the thought process for each administration iba. Right. And uh, ang component kasi ng ating treaty are ano eh, the VFA and the EDCA. The VFA is for yung troop presence. Right. The EDCA is for forwarding yung ano yung equipment nila. Kasi troops and equipment go together. Right. So uh, the big ah so you're saying EDCA is more about the weapons prepositioning and yeah. all than the Troops, rotational acts, whatever. Okay, yeah, because if you go not, if you look, go to the nuts and bolts of EDCA, it's all about facilities. Facilities, yeah. Inside uh, Philippine bases, so it, we're not talking of US bases. Correct. Uh, we're not going. They're not building US bases here in the Philippines. They're going to build a facility, a logistical facility, or a transport facility within Philippine camps or bases. Yun yung ano, yun yung context to. Correct. And that is to support yung uh, troops that they come in that is under nakatak in under VFA. Right. So uh, now it all goes to ano it's yung yung, yung concept niyan is ano uh, during the reforger days eh, report, at the height of the Cold War. Kumbaga they preposition equipment, troops will just follow. Right. So dito it's just we're talking of a warehouse equipment taka store don. Then their troops can come in if a uh, contingency, contingency happens. And they can put uh, aircrafts, vessels, right? Uh, electronic warfare, uh, of those kinds of things, right? Well, what, for what? that, I, know, uh, I, I don't think... I'm not private to your level of yeah, specificity yeah. at this time. No? But at the time, it's just... We're talking of warehouses eh, or storage Storage, but for the weapons, ammunition, yeah, etc. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, how did you feel about Marcos going in the direction he's going? I mean, what is your understanding? Because for me, uh, I don't buy the fact. I don't buy this argument that Duterte put Marcos in a strategic sweet spot. But I would still argue that Marcos can potentially make the most out of the situation. Can potentially even put us in a strategic sweet spot. 
if we get the most out of this etka and that will give us a leverage when we delete china because my sense is you can't get nothing from china if you have no capabilities of on your own if you're economically dependent on them and you have no backing of anyone else when you have some backing some capabilities of your own some diversified relations then maybe we can make a better deal with china but there's a counter argument to that which is the genie is out of the bottle the etka is gonna bring us so deep into the american cap that goodbye with any engagement strategy towards china where do, where do you stand on that because honestly in my mind i'm arguing for both sides and i'm still mm. not settled on that so in uh, academic parlance are we still hedging or are we soft balancing right i mean that's that those are the terms we use in the academic world and my sense is we are not still fully aligned with the u.s because we can still adjust some of the nitty-gritty details we can well we didn't give i don't know mavulis or fuga to the americans whatever but I mean, i'm just giving an idea of some of the debates going on here or at least some of the debates i'm having with myself what is your understanding of that because can we pull out the map here because we're not only looking at the five pre-designated bases we're looking at four additional ones the mm. red ones they all have to do with maritime security mm. either west philippine sea or dealing with taiwan this looks to some people the philippines has already aligned i mean i remember just the other day i was i was talking to a malaysian taxi driver grab driver was saying like Oh yeah, in the region, okay, I'm not going to imitate the accent. In the region, Philippines and Singapore are kind of like a uh, deputy sheriff of America and ASEAN. Like, how do you read this? I mean, this this looks because at least in the five original one, my my Mindanao ka, my Visayas ka, meron ka plausible deniability that this is not really about China, it's about ISIS, Daesh, whatever. But now, majority are facing West Philippines and Taiwan. What's going on here? I think uh, that's a realization of yung Uh, geopolitical circumstances natin mm. ngayon. And, so, if I juxtapose yung slide ko na, this, this screen, uh, yung screen picture, right. to the one you presented earlier on, yung Edgar Sides. Basis, yeah. Makita mo yung, ano, I call this the maritime act. This is not my own, ano, no. So, I, it's from my uh, readings. It, it, kumbaga, it depicts the, what we call the maritime axis of advance of China. Kumbaga, the extent of its maritime ambition. Mm. So there's a northern axis going to the Arctic Ocean. Uh, we are affected by the two axis of advance. The one in the middle is uh, the advance from China going to the Mid-Pacific and to the mm. South America. So it hit us where? Tatamaan tayo sa Luzon, straight Basi Channel. Right. And that's where the... I think the three new EDCA sites are located. The Cagayan Isabella ones, right? Yeah. yeah. Two in Cagayan. Yeah. And the other one is familiar naman tayo. The, the, uh, the, one. the one going to, to West Philippine Sea or Kalayan Island Group or Spratly's right. group of islands. Uh, that's That axis is going to Indian Ocean to Africa and Europe. Okay. And, and this one is also goes towards second island chain, right? In a sense. Which... I mean, that's where Philippine Sea and Benham rise. Yeah, it's pushing comes. outward right. towards the second island chain. Right. Okay. Kaya ano eh, uh, this one is a concern for us because they have diplomatic uh, forays already in the Solomon Islands. Right. Uh, we used to have a strategic career. A strategic career natin is yung East Coast natin eh. Kasi we look at it, uh, kumbaga na, oh, walang problema dyan, typhoon lang problema natin. Hmm. Now, if nag-gain traction yung uh, positioning ng China sa Solomon sa Islands, sa South Pacific countries, yeah. which is a big issue for Australia and others yeah. too, yeah. Then, wala na tayong strategic career. Kumaga, where is the Solomon Islands? Is it this one? Or, somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle, okay. Ah, so it's much closer to us then. And yeah. uh, ang, ang pinofocus ng China are those islands hmm. that used to host Japanese or US bases during the Second World Second War. Second World War, right. Yeah. The Pacific War. Yeah. yeah. So, mangyari niyan, uh, we are going to be sandwiched between the first island chain construct nila and the second island chain. Right. And this is, uh, the reason why I always, because we always hear Philippines has a great geographical position. I'm saying like, yes and no. Actually, if you look at it in a way, we have the worst geographic position. We're squeezed between first and second island chain strategy of China. Yeah, right? I call it now the curse of geography. I, mean, I didn't want to go that far, but it is in it a way. Is. Or I would call it tyranny of geography or and, or, or geography of tyranny. And that's, that is something we have to accept. Yeah. Kumbaga, in the positioning of things, 
do we want to be the doormat of yeah. Asia? Is Asia? That's one way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, we're double frontline. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really not good. So uh, we need to accept the geopolitical and geographical circumstances. Natin as what it is. Is the nature of the beast? Eh? And craft right. our maritime security posture accordingly. Yeah. accordingly. Now, yung, yung trying to deny things will not solve the problem. Because when you say, okay, we're, that's, that's going to be, that's not intended for the South China Sea problem. That's, uh, we're trying to deny things. Would you say the neutrality debate is kind of a denial of the reality that, oh, we're neutral, we're not the the Harry Roker line, which is like, this is the intramurals of the giants. We don't have to do anything about it. Like, I find that kind of weird because we are a U.S. treaty ally and we don't want to be dominated by China in these areas, right? I mean, Ang what's going dito, on there? We need to step up. Okay, we need to accept our middle power statue. Yeah, because we're not a small country. Our population is close Hindi. to Mexico's. Yeah. No one says Mexico is a small country, right? But uh, yeah. I don't know kung baga is it an institutional or kung baga cultural inferiority complex I, I, I think it's part. a cultural, psychological thing, yeah. Yeah, but we need to get over that. We need to accept that we are a middle power. Right. And as a middle power, we have responsibilities. And literally middle, in the middle of yeah, in the all middle of this. Also. Yeah. And uh, we don't have to be the small brother to the American big brother. We right. can plot our own course. Eh. Uh, uh, the U.S. uses the hub, hub and spokes. Right. The network of allies yeah. it has. Okay. Yeah. But we can use that same mechanism. To our own advantage. Yeah. Kumbaga, tayo Pilipinas becomes the hub. Right. And our relations with the U.S., Japan, Australia, other partners are the spokes. Yeah. But that means we need to step up and kumbaga, build confidence among, among ourselves. Yeah. And, and a sense of agency. That that we're not just spectators here. We can do something about it. I mean, I, I always say everyone talks about AUKUS, but we have to talk about JAFUS, right? Japan, Philippines, US. Yeah. That's another important trilateral because if you look at Taiwan there in the map, it's squeezed sandwiched in between Philippines yeah. and Japan. And both of us, naval facilities, very close to that. Before we go to the grand strategy again, can we go down to the granular level again? Um. Is it, is it significant that Mavulis and Fuga are perhaps kind of not part of ETCA or they're too small and too on the front? Like, does that mean anything? Or is it significant that Marcos initially was thinking Ilocos Norte for the Balikatan this year, but it was pushed to Zambales? Do you think that's more marginal or that's actually more strategically consequential? That, or okay, uh, would the US be even interested in having access to Mavulis? Considering it's just over 100 nautical miles, I mean, can they develop that facility, make it large? Uh, number one, Mabulis is too small. Too uh, small. Uh, what about Fuga? Pretty we, large enough, isn't it? Yeah, but we, uh, no. actually, the Fuga, I think the Fuga came into the conversation uh, uh, through uh, Governor Mamba. Right, who we'll talk about yeah, a bit more so later. Said, yeah. uh, okay, uh, don't put the EDCA facility here, put it in Fuga Island. Uh, Fuga is very consequential because this is a stride of the channel. No? Right. But it may be, again, too small. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying Marcos did not put Fuga and Mavulis there not because the Americans are not interested, it's because it just doesn't make sense to be part of any major military infrastructure. There's build-up. another consideration because eh. it's yung for a real estate issue. Eh. Mm-hmm. Uh, madaling i-offer yung, facili- yung, yung site if it's a military camp because national government or the armed forces owns that piece of real estate. But when you talk of, let's say, Fuga, that's a private... Uh, yeah, kind of a resort-ish uh, So, you're going to run into... Expropriation. That, the norm, the yeah. normal, bureaucratic... The expropriation. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's so, where the LGUs will have a lot of power of giving you yeah, a hard yeah. time so if they're not... It, I see what you're saying. So, uh, even if it's strategically significant, Sabi na natin strategically significant yung fuga, but it's you're going headache. to run into real. It's a bureaucratic headache. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. So, so it's a regulatory maze, if not minefield. Yeah. So you know, so my so my understanding is that if a war happens, perhaps some facilities will be open to some injured American troops or something like that. Yeah. Right? Maybe like that. Actually, we actually yeah. have a naval or marine detachment sa Fuga Island. Exactly. That's why, that's why yeah. I was asking about it. Yeah. And also in Mavulis, we're kind of trying to build some basic facilities. It's, it's basically a monitoring station. Yeah, but okay. those, are, ano eh, those are militarily indefensible positions. 
Therefore, just as much as the Chinese fake islands in the South China yeah, Sea, they're also militarily defensible. Uh, they're a political statement. Kumbaga, in terms of real estate, yun yung muhun mo eh. That's your marker. Mm. Okay, this is the extent of uh, my claim. And uh, putting a facility there is my political statement that I'm not a passive actor. I'm a proactive actor. Right. And I, I will enforce or I will pursue my claim there. So, yun yung ano doon, yun, yun yung significance doon. So, so, you're saying we have already all the chips on the table? Is, is that what you're saying here? That by giving all of these bases or sites rather, facilities to Americans, we are essentially aligned with them against China? Is, is that what you're saying? That there's no room for hedging here? Or is there still a room for hedging? I mean, if you're China, you look at it and say, that's it, the Philippines has chosen. They're with the Americans and we'll treat them accordingly. What is your take on this? Again, I go back to my statement earlier. If we have the confidence to act as a middle power, then that is leverage. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Bargaining chip. Yeah. That's a bargaining chip. Uh, uh, right now, kasi ang nangyayari parang we're leaving we're, our faith we're, to the no, others. No, we're talking past each other. You mean China or US? China and us are talking past each other. Kasi, uh, ah, we'll do our own thing. You do your own oh, thing. Yeah. Bahala na, tignan natin. Oh, 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 so yeah. if you look at I get the, what you're saying. Yeah, if you go, you look at the series of forums lately, you know, I think I'm on four or five forums na nangyayari. That they're, they're, that's not a dialogue. That's them saying, this is how I feel. Yeah, yeah. So I feel hurt with what's happening in the Philippines right now. Okay. But, uh, ang lang yun eh. uh, yeah. they're not doing anything to actually assuage yung situation. Yeah, because this is what I'm saying, Admiral. The Chinese still have an option, right? If they lessen the bullying in the West Philippines, he offer us some concrete uh, reassurances or any major concessions. You can think about many things, right? Uh, I don't know, allowing our fishermen better access to Scarborough Shoal, stopping the harassment and militia deployment. There's, I mean, is there something that China can do here uh, to make us think twice about the trajectory of our alliance with the United States? And is there room for the Philippines to tweak and dribble our ETCA alliance with the US? You get what I'm saying? Because, okay, we're both on the same page. This could be a bargaining chip, but bargaining chip means that there, there's a room for a maneuver. What is the room for maneuver here? What can China do and what can we do to make the most out of this situation without us being completely dragged into the American camp, uh, being their deputy sheriff? There are two contexts that we need to put in okay. the, into play. Number right. one, my sense is uh, they have actually uh, pushed themselves into the corner in terms of... The Chinese, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Flexibility of policy. Because... There are times that when you, uh, they hyperventilate in terms of yung, yung expressing their uh, anger or uh, ano. It's a rising superpower thing. Yeah. They're not talking to us. Yeah. They're talking to, to their, the Americans. No. To, to themselves. Domestic, yeah, to to their, their own, domestic yeah. public. Posturing. Posturing. Old warrior diplomacy. Domestic posturing sila. Akala lang natin tayo yung kausap nila, but hindi talaga. So that's one. So they don't have that. They, domestically, they may no longer have that flexibility to shift or to recalibrate. Pangalawa naman, uh, sa, they may not have, baka wala sila respeto sa atin. I, I don't think it's a baka thing. I, it's very clear, right? Duterte gave them everything and yeah. what did they give us in exchange? Obviously, they don't take us so, seriously. Uh, yeah. ha, uh, siguro, for us, the first thing that we need to do is uh, we need to level up. Again, we need to develop the confidence to become a middle power so that we will be respected. So, how can you dialogue with a person you do not respect? But don't you think this will make us look even more like China's uh, U.S. protectorate in the eyes of the Chinese? Like, ayam palakay eh, ang talagang ganyan lang kayo eh. Don't you think it makes it worse even for the the Chinese? Say, you guys are not really in charge of your own country. You're giving up all your bases to the Americans. Yeah. At least with Duterte, he was kind of the mayor in charge of the town. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Like, it kind of can backfire, right? Because if the Chinese stick to their caricature of the Philippines. This is perfect uh, bias, you know, confirmation, right? Like, see, mm. Filipinos, they're not really their own country. They're just here. Th so, that's my concern here. Eh, na parang, wait lang, baka naman we're going too far in the other direction under Marcos Jr. That, that really leaves no room for any proper negotiation with the Chinese. That's a very good point. But the next step is while we restore the alliance with the United States, we should also look at other strategic partners, Japan, Diversification, Australia. exactly. We diversify. Correct, Because, again, go, I, go, I go back to my construct of the hub and spoke. If we think like a hub, 
then we need to expand. Hindi pwedeng one hub lang, which is Philippine-US. Yeah, yeah. You look at other hubs. Spoke to spoke. Yeah, and we are the center of the... We the are spoke, the hub yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. And ang, ano ko dyan, ang con- concept dyan would be, ang driver ng hub mo is defining what is our national interest. Kasi dito ang problema, I think, uh, yung national interest natin should be something that is not open to interpretation. And it is something that is uh, everybody understands on a basic level. Right. But if we start debating on what is our national interest, that means we never really had an understanding or discernment na we are on the same page as far as interest. Right. Kumbaga, there's no such thing as national interest. So that is something also that we need to work on. And also make sure the EDCA gives us the equipment and training that we need to become a credible middle power also militarily right yeah. i think the philippines is already middle power diplomatically mm. i think economically we're almost a trillion dollar econ- we're going to be a trillion dollar economy in the next 10 years but militarily my sense is we still have to i mean i think we're among few major asian countries that doesn't still have a squadron of real modern fighters we only have upgraded fa-50 fighters but so obviously there's a lot of catch up to do but you're optimistic that if we play our cards or cautiously optimistic that we can make this etka a kind of a you know a linchpin for modernization of the afp to make us a credible because you cannot be a middle power just by the size of your population or economy right you yeah. have to have a decent military right especially navy and air force in the case of the well, number one let's build our strategic culture in government which we mentioned a while ago yeah, yeah. pangalawa if you build on that then the next step would be you need to be strategized right kumbaga you don't ta- Right now, we are reacting to situations. Eh? Right. We're not ahead of the game. We're just playing along or tagging along. Mm-hmm. Now, to be uh, a respectable middle power, you have to be ahead of the game. Right. Kaya yung 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 paggamit mo ng tools of statecraft mo are astute. Now let's go to the final part of our discussion. I mean, there's so much to discuss. But you see what's what's happening here, right? Yeah. I, I'm having already debates inside my head. It's like, anong next step? Because eh? I think everyone's wondering, wala na. Tumaya na tayo, tapos na. Yung iba naman, eh, wala yan. Maraming pa ang plot twist mangyari. I mean, there, there are many ways to look at it. I can sense even our Chinese counterparts also are kind of confused about how bad is this situation, right? And what they can do next. But now, let's assume this. Let's assume the, the Chinese look at this and say, I think the Philippines need some reminders about who's the big powers in this part of the world. And I think that inevitably brings us to this discussion of a whole-of-nation approach, right? Because you cannot be a real middle power if you're not preparing your whole country to come together. I mean, the first time I heard about this whole-of-nation approach was actually in the Australian defense paper that came a decade, uh, uh, a decade ago or something that you know, in dealing with China and Asia, they have to have a whole-of-nation approach. Universities should be on board, business sector, Hindi lang, uh, military and government. Do you have a sense that we also have to be prepared for that? I mean, I used to be in Taiwan, based in Taiwan before as a business scholar. So one of the things that I always notice with Taiwan, at least with the Thai Nguyen administration was, they wanted to prepare their whole country in hybrid warfare with China. So as much as they are preparing for kinetic warfare, they already had to do with influence operations, right? So I know you have been doing a lot on influence operations, you know, how authoritarian superpowers who have a lot of money right can use that money or investments and all to influence a lot of people including lgu leaders in other countries in fact that's one reason i was skeptical of federalism is like federalism can do two very damaging things strengthen warlords and dynasties mm-hmm. and strengthen warlords and dynasties aligned hostile powers right like um, we're not gonna name drop here but you know like we have weird situation of some governor here saying like openly with china and all of that no so can you tell us a little about, about influence operation or sharp power, right? How serious is this threat? And, and China obviously can also have other ways of reminding the Philippines who's the big boy in this part of the world, cyber, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our critical infrastructure, like your national grid, not in percent yung hawak ng Chinese counterpart or engineers. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I look at it and uh, can I, part of me is saying, fine, I think Marcos Juring is doing some correction to Duterte, but at the same time, like, does he realize 
what preparation we need if we're really going to go in that direction. What is your advice in, 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 in this regard? How serious is the influence operation issue? Could you explain to us what's up with this whole influence operation? Sharp power, that's the term we use. Because everyone knows hard power, which is okay. military, etc. But what about the sharp power? What's going on there? Okay, it, it, our basic first problem natin is we have framed the problem as a hard power issue. Right. Military, military. Military, to military. Yeah, yeah. So that we know. Correct. We are distracted from yung what's happening in the West Philippine Sea. Kumbaga, all our energies all our resources are look, looking yeah. at okay how do i address the problem but uh, china operates at different levels eh? and one of them is your combination of your one two punch the hard power and the sharp power so here we, in this uh, line just to be clear sharp power is different from soft power because soft power is more like attraction of your culture k-pop hollywood right okay uh, yeah. sharp power is weaponization of economic resources and, and diplomatic resources, informational resources, right? Because many people know hard power and soft power, what Joseph and I was talking about. But yeah. sharp power is a new category that has been introduced into the discourse over the past three, four years. Okay, my distinction there between soft and sharp, sharp. power is uh, if you use the vector of public diplomacy, let's say just focus on public diplomacy. In the context of soft power, ang, ang objective from a public diplomacy perspective is to engage another country and to show the the best features of your culture and to uh, enhance your people-to-people relation. Okay, that's the soft power. Soft power context of public diplomacy. Right. If you look at it from the point of view of sharp power, I weaponize that. I use public yeah. diplomacy to interfere in the domestic politics of another country and make and to find ways and means to influence the elites of that country so right. that they will more or less subscribe to yung uh, policies or yung intention ko and right. eventually be supportive of my strategic interest. So medyo ano yon, medyo sabi na nating medyo uh, selfish yung interest noon. it's yeah, I mean, you're essentially weaponizing yeah. uh, soft power, right? Yeah. I mean, just to give an example for people to understand what we're talking about, like, it's for instance, like going out there and, you know, trying to make friends with some governor or LGU leaders and kind of make them argue against Etka in ways you would argue against Etka, yeah. right? Or make some YouTube video about West Philippine Sea as a shared sea and that, you know, China, yeah. Philippines, harmony, forget about UNCLOS, forget about your rights. Kind of misinformation, right? Mm. Uh, but it's kind of soft power-ish looking. So it looks soft power, but actually it's something more than that. Because soft power could be economic investments, you know, just general cultural production. But sharp power is when actually those have more ulterior motives, right? Uh, yeah. Sharp power manifests in what we call political warfare. Okay. And political warfare right, has right. different different vectors or different ways of doing things. Okay. So one of them is what we call subnational engagement. Right. Meaning, uh, you not only look at uh, engaging the national government, uh, pati yung local government i-engage mo. And uh, ang mangyayari niyan, if successful ka sa sub-national engagement mo, that local, that local branch of government will end up uh, going against central government. Right. Yung, uh, yung policy direction ng central government. And there are ways of doing that. Uh, akong ano eh, akong, uh, despite this uh, opposition or controversy on EDCA, ang uh, sinasabi ko is, the Chinese have their own version of EDCA. Ang tawag doon, Belt and Road Initiative. Right, right. Okay? Kasi if you look at it, sa end point niya, ano yung objective doon, pareho lang naman eh. Okay? But no Chinese troops are going to be on Philippine soil, right? They're uh, the, not going to put PLA. But you have with... to go back to yung strategy in China. There mm. is what they call civil-military fusion in terms ah, of strategy. Right, right, right. Meaning everything is dual use. When I invest in your province and put up a port and probably find a way na yung port na yon is 99-year list of a state-owned Chinese company who happened to have links with the People's Liberation Army, right. like what happened to Darwin in Australia. Or Sri Lanka, the, yeah. the Hambantuta. Yeah. Uh, so, sa akin, study ko Darwin talaga. Yeah, kasi talaga outright state-owned, PLA connection. Yeah. Okay. 
very strategic location. Port. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's Australia's gateway to the Indian Ocean. Right. Okay. So, if you use that as a model or case study, there's a potential that can happen. Now, uh, putting away malice in our local government officials, you assume regularity in the way they, ano, they responded to that circumstance. Kumbaga, yeah, I mean, just to be clear, there are legitimate concerns with EDCA. I, I just want to be fair to governor, you know, in Cagayan, Isabel, yeah. that they, it, there are reasons to be uncomfortable. There are concerns. Because we had American troops, abuses happen. So we're not here dismissive of some legitimate concerns. Correct, correct. But you will be naive to assume that it's only legitimate concerns that is driving some of the criticism going on here, right? Ang problem natin is, uh, in terms of awareness, bababa yung, almost zero yung awareness natin in terms of political warfare or sharp power. Yeah, I mean, only you and I have been talking about sharp power. How many, even among scholars, I don't hear many people talking okay. about sharp power. So, the fact na hindi siya part of the public discourse, discourse natin, yeah. wag na public discourse. Public policy discourse. Yeah. yeah. The fact that it's not even talked about, that means you're not aware of it. Right. So, yung appreciation mo dito, uh, uh, to be fair to them, is it's a purely an investment. And I need to take care of my investment because that investment produces jobs right. at the local level. So I I could understand yung ano nila, right. yung uh, hesitation nila or yung situation nila, okay. or concerns about the environment yeah. or right, something like that. Yeah. But that's my point. Like something can be legitimate, but also can be weaponized by external powers and their proxies here in the Philippines, right? That's just, that's what I'm saying. No one talks about it. It's, it's either or, mm-hmm. either. Ano to, or you know what I'm saying? Uh, and my feel is when you look at it, there are 50 shades of ways by yeah. by China and other powers to influence us. The same way the U.S. was influencing us in nefarious ways during the Cold War period, etc. Isa pa kasi yung aspect dito is natural sa atin to look at power in terms of geopolitical context. But China is operating at a different level. Yung geoeconomic sphere. That means, statecraft nila, yeah. uh, sa statecraft nila, economics yeah. is part of yung strategic design nila. Exactly. They're not separated. Hindi sa, wala There's no siya. innocent investment big uh, ticket. Yeah. It's one big continuum. So when we, right. talk, when we talk of yung dimensions of national power or tools of statecraft, diplomacy, propaganda, economic strategy, and military strategy supports each other. Right. Uh, in our context, kasi westernized yung appreciation natin, naka-stovepipe yan. Kasi, Anatayo, market economy. So if a Chinese company, what they're private company, they have nothing mm. to do. And then like, but if you follow it, what's I mean, the reason I'm asking is this because remember, one big issue is the 2017 national intelligence law passed in China, mm. right? And if you look at some of the provisions, I don't want to be unfair, but some of the provisions are kind of problematic, right? Some of the provisions kind of almost imply that at some point, if the national government called on private citizens and companies, they have to contribute to national intelligence security like isn't that worrying in itself oh. actually there are several laws there's the cryptography law nila, exactly counterterrorism yeah. law yeah. of course the national intelligence law and also uh, uh more and more of, of efforts to kind of put commissars almost in the board of big companies right especially state-owned companies but we see also with big tech companies in china suddenly big moves are happening so this is not a normal capitalist system whereby i don't know no. so, this is not like facebook meta operating because uh, I always hear that, eh, paras lang naman sila. No, they're not. Facebook doesn't operate under Pentagon, right? Uh, but in China, if the government is angry, any moment they can just t- take over it or kind of influence directly the ang problem, operations. The problem sa China, nagsishift sila ngayon from yung private companies which sprung up during Deng Xiaoping yeah. and the succeeding yeah, to, uh, all the way to Jintao, Jiang Zemin. They're shifting back to ano eh, uh, state control, yeah. state-owned enterprises. So right. they're killing the ano eh, private sector nila, or slowly killing the private sector. Who used sector. to be like, I mean, Jack Ma was a fantastic entrepreneur. So what happened to him now? So that siya yung ano eh, siya yung kumbaga, I think he's in Japan, right? Yeah. Yung icon of uh, how entrepreneurship they, they try yeah. to kill private sector na. Eh. So state-owned enterprises, by the nature of the beast, may party sell yan sa loob. Commissar. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a political yeah, officer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a party cell yeah. that is either the one running the enterprise or running with the enterprise. Thank you very much for that, Admiral. Now, to end our talk, because this is about the view from Manila, because we see a lot of people talking about geopolitics in this part of the world. Sometimes it's the Chinese view, sometimes it's the Western view. But what we try to do in this uh, show is 
the Filipino view of looking at things. Now, if you were the National Security Advisor or something like that, what would be your advice to President Marcos Jr.? Because President Marcos Jr. is saying, don't worry about it, hindi gagamitin yan for offensive ito mga EDCA bases and all. And my sense is that, no, actually it could be used for, you know, in an event of war escalation. So my sense is maybe the President has to be more honest about some of the risk here while making sure there's no unnecessary panic. But if you were the National Security Advisor, what would be the advice? If you had some say in shaping of the Philippine strategic culture, what would be advice? What would be the best whole of nation approach? And what will be also the best strategic decision maker approach to dealing with the reality that we talked about? The Philippines is a middle power and is in the middle of powers, right? Okay. Competing powers, yeah. Now, first of to put context, no? I think uh, for all the criticisms by President Marcos, I think he has a very astute sense of the uh, geopolitical reality. Because he has been in this for a long time. Yeah. He was 1974 already in Beijing. And yeah. I think in, in the way things are running, as far as national security con right. con uh, conversation is concerned, I think he's well ahead of the pack in terms of understanding it. Interesting. So he doesn't need advice. What he needs actually from his national security team is support. In course, yeah, exactly. Support. Because exactly. what exactly. he's running the marathon, yeah. and he's already in the midst, halfway the 21st mile of the 42. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, he's in starting stage pa lang yung yeah. his team. So they need to catch up. Right. So it's a matter. It's not a matter That's of. That's a good, ano, interesting eh, way of putting it. It's yeah. not a matter of the uh, national security team advising the president. I think the president has a. He has a vision. Yeah, he, he, he understands what's happening. Eh, and uh, actually, kung titingnan mo siya, driver of the things that's happening now. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, because usually he gets dismissed, right? Ah, Marcus Jr. Yeah. He's just you know traveling all around the world. He just. No, but my sense always was he has a strong and my sense is he was always in the shadow of his father who was quite astute on foreign policy. I mean, I'm not a fan of Marcos Sr.'s some of his domestic policies, mm. definitely not the human rights violation issue, but I think on foreign policy, Marcos Sr. had a smart way of approaching multi-vector, dealing with multiple powers and all. My sense is the son learned a lot from the father and I kind of confirmed that people who know Marcos Sr. very well. Yeah, so he had the proper exposure. And, right. Uh, At the highest right level. Right or wrong, he had a mentor. Yung father the father. So, yun yung ano doon. So, it's not an issue of the advising him. It's, it's the intelligence part. It, it's yeah. the emotional support, the moral support. He needs yeah. support and they need to catch up. Right. That's that's a very good way. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you very much, uh, Admiral. Uh, retired Rear Admiral. Uh -oh. Thank you very much, Thank sir, you. for joining us. Very kind of you. Parang kulang two hours. No? <laughs> I think we need uh, three, four hours. For four hours, five hours, and all. Thank you very much for that. Mm. So catch us again next week on One News. You can also check out the long conversation on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. I am Richard Hidarian, and that is The View from Manila. We're One News, all sides, all the time. Thank you.